0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Still Loading Podcast. I'm chatting with Rebecca Jones, and we are talking about customer success and the role of customer success in startups and scale-ups, and really, customer success is that part of the business that really advocates and supports and is the voice of the customer. And so often it's actually misunderstood um, and not utilized effectively in an organization. And Rebecca shares her experience and wisdom, both seeing it from a positive, like done well, basically, and also then done not so well. So you can learn those best practices and top tips. The other thing as well is Rebecca shares her experience transitioning from a corporate role into joining a startup and what she understands and has discovered from that along the way, such as a startup and scale up is a new company every 90 days which is incredible and also the idea that really customers need to be at the forefront of what you're developing and designing regardless of your business what is it that you can do to really incorporate the voice of the customer how are you doing that in your company business or even your interactions with people around the business right who is your customer How are you incorporating their voice into what you do, and how can you make that stick in your organisations? This is a great conversation, I'm sure we'll get a lot out of it. I know I did. Enjoy. Are you looking for a great way to be a better leader in today's world? Well, look no further. You're here at the Still Loading Podcast, where we explore leadership for the digital age. We collect all the best practices, skills and tips that you'll ever need so you can start being a better leader today. I'm your host, Ilona Brannan, and this is definitely worth listening to. I am so excited and delighted and I rhyme in time because I'm like a 90s child but basically I've got Rebecca Jones with me today and Rebecca Jones is an amazing digital transformation leader and expert and she is passionate beyond belief about customer success which I am too and we're going to be getting more into the detail on that in this episode. Um, Now Rebecca and I we met at a Warwick Business School women's networking event many years ago and we kind of flirted with each other a bit. We were like, I'm very interested in this person. And then it was really actually over the pandemic that we made that huge commitment to be like, I'm going to make an effort to see you in a pandemic. (laughs) And then we became really firm friends and we have a lot of shared interest with the London tech scene. We're often seen at uh, London fintech events, especially the women fintech events. That's really fun. Recommend you check them out if you're interested in fintech and just the tech ecosystem in London as it stands. But Rebecca, can you tell everyone a bit more about your
1: yourself. Alona, thank you so much. I am likewise delighted to be here and congratulations on your newest season of the podcast. I know I love the podcast in particular. I really liked your episode on storytelling and also with the London, uh, writer salon duo yes no Matt and Parol are great and also if anyone's
0: interested in sort of honing their writing skills I thoroughly recommend Writer's Hour it's a free hour that you can write with other people from all over the world I've met some amazing people and it's been amazing so yes season four my friends we are in it this is season four I know I've lost count too. It's like kind of amazing that we've come this far, but I guess it shows you, and it shows me, especially the power of talking about leadership and especially leadership in the digital age. I think it's a real point of kind of contention at the moment as we move through this world in a different way, especially post-pandemic, everything's much more digitalized. Are we being inclusive with our digital technology? Are we you know, thinking about how to integrate the old you know, we're just going to talk about that in a bit, aren't we? But the yeah. old ways of being, they're not necessarily bad. It's just how can we integrate them so we're getting the best out of sort of analog and digital. That's kind of where my passions lie in, in, in tandem. But I'd love to start with a little bit about you and kind of like the work that you do at the moment with customer success, because I know it's a massive passion of yours. And we've talked about it at length about in especially the startup world, The challenges of getting customer success right. So, I'd love you to share your wisdom on that.
1: Oh, thank you, Alona. So, in a nutshell, I worked in big corporate financial services industry for 15 years. And then, four years ago now, I pivoted into the startup. So I went from a big, leading a big team into an individual contributor role as employee number 22 in a fintech startup. So that was a big shock to the system, yeah. and a very thrilling ride and doing all things digital transformation. And like you said, um, customer success, but of course, customer success can mean many, many things. And especially when you are in a startup land, you, you are a butcher, baker, candlestick maker. You have to do everything. <laughs> You know, you take the baton from from sales and you do everything from onboarding, implementation, support, success, ongoing, <laughs> you know, anything they need, the renewals, figuring it out, being the voice of the customer, all, all of the things, you know, uh, organizations sort of throw, we'll get into it a bit more, but throw everything they can over the fence to customer success. And it's supposed to be, you know, this magical, uh, we have a magic wand apparently to <laughs> fix everything, but I you know, I have the secret sauce. I know, um, how to make it work. And it is something that's passionate of mine. Like how do you actually get reduced friction, help that customer achieve their strategic objectives. And they can do that through yeah. the products and services that you're offering It's really partnering with them. But I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself there. Uh, but that, yeah. that's something I'm very passionate about.
0: I no, I totally agree with you. And I think the way I always look, think about it is I used to be a math teacher, right? And if I gave a kid a math, uh, calculator, it doesn't mean they can do maths. I think right. it's very similar when a customer buys a tech product, be that SaaS, be that any other, you know, because I've I've had a lot of experience in the SaaS world. But if you don't know how to use said calculator or insert product here into your business and really like accelerate your growth, then you're going to not get the value that you wanted out of the product and ultimately either churn which is you know a, a bad thing for any any customer like experience but also maybe you it maybe it is the best product but if you don't know how to use it and you don't know how it aligns to your business growth then it's a bit useless
1: i couldn't agree with you more and what i will add is that oftentimes I will see that the transformation team or the team that we, you know, sold to and worked through the journey mapping and the implementation is rarely actually the end user and is really the people that that take that product forward. And so there's oftentimes, you know, a delay or even a resistance to uh, usage. And so then when it's time to, if there hasn't been that, you know, you can either call it intervention or support or coaching, cheerleading, et cetera. Then, as that renewal approaches, then it's like they've sort of lost the will and even the like institutional legacy knowledge around, you know, what was, why did we do this in the first place? Mm-hmm. And then they either feel like they're stuck with it and sort of resentful and then don't really use it, or they think like, ah, oh, this is a chunky item on my PL, like I might as well. And it's just a cost. Yes. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> so, there is some aspect of it that it's, you know, one part you do want to keep your eyes on the the commercial aspect but most importantly you want that customer to be happy especially if you and because the product is there to solve one of their problems so keep that really focused and also understand like how that problem evolves so we've solved this problem how can we kind of stretch it what's next how you know what support do i have available and if not in this product suite can i introduce them to a peer that might have a similar uh, struggle. And and that's another way of, of conveying value. That's another aspect of customer success, I think.
0: Oh, I love that because now you're getting into community. And I actually think community is a big, massive yeah. value add with customer success. If you can build that community right, they become your advocates. They become your cheerleaders. They love the product more than you. They can also feed back into the product and make yeah. it better because they're like, oh, if you did this and this part and hit this place, I've seen it do amazing things. But how do you build that great community? Because that is kind of like an aspect of digital leadership that I've just kind of thought of here on the call. But like, <laughs> I think that's actually a big part. Like you're leading a group of people to understand and use your product better. So how have you done that in the past?
1: So I've seen it done well and I've seen it done not well. <laughs> Always, oh, so, so that's like leadership <laughs> in a nutshell. I think. I think it's going to it's going to be a little bit different if it's B two B to, from B two C, right? So if it's B two C. I've seen, you know, B2C, they really like to jump in a Slack community or be part of webinars or, you know, um have kind of drop-in office hours. That can be kind of fun because it's little, it's low risk. No one's coming there to be for hard sell, you know, and they know that other peers will be there. Um, and then we do an intro and I even say like, drop your LinkedIn URL in the chat. And so they can, they can even pick up and have those one-to-one side conversations. It's about that intro. Um, And also I think, community, even on, you know, a Slack board or circle group, whatever you want to do is uh, on the one hand, it can be uh, what I've heard from my support teams is like, oh no, it's just another channel for support. And I'm saying, but it's another channel for support. That means like it's another source of customer feedback. You know, it doesn't necessarily like let's turn it on its head a little bit. So I think that sometimes the ambition is exactly what we're talking about. Like that introduction, helping them through peer, championing the product, and they can hear how others are using it. On the other hand, there is that, you know, risk or opportunity for it to be more of a support thing or to have kind of like the air, you know, almost people saying, yeah, I really wish there was a blue button here too. And, and it becomes like, no, no, we're not, no, Yeah, we're not it, doing that. yeah. We the value. it doesn't need a blue button. So uh, it's a little bit risky. So I think that, why do I say all of that? Because it really is about having that community management. Um, mm-hmm. I think what I've also seen is sometimes, um, there's a temptation whether it's by marketing customer success that the idea is great like let's put together uh you know a, a slack channel or a community for this and run a webinar and this and that but who's actually the owner and so do you have an, a dedicated community manager so if i'm a small startup and i have a, a set budget it's going to be hard for me to justify that that community um, manager unless i really understand the purpose how i'm going to use the data coming through et cetera. so Great idea. How does it happen in practice? I still think there's some, some you know, that's something you and I should solve together. <laughs> yeah, for
0: sure. For sure. I'd love to take the, um, a step uh, kind of higher in a sense from that customer success focus to like thinking about the customer journey. Because to me, I feel like as a leader in customer success, right, and thinking about that, creating that value for customers, being able to have that vision of, the entire customer journey is a really important thing to be able to do and then communicate to your organization about why that red thread needs to go through your whole organization. You know, can you talk to me a little bit about how you have done that in the past and kind of the things
1: you're thinking about now with that customer journey? I would love to. This is my passion project. So you're going to have to um, stop me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, it's on and on. so i couldn't agree with you more and what i'm really what i'm i'm talking about now is i call it the customer alchemy which i love by the way that i think is beautiful because it kind of lends itself to what
0: you're just talking about how it's like a special source like the yeah. customer community manager it's not like a, it's an art it's not it's an art and a science you've got to have both and that alchemy i think
1: encapsulates that perfectly Thank you. Thank you. Yes. So it'll be um, my site. No, it <laughs> is, is, is customeralchemy.co. So sign up for, on the wait list. So essentially, if you were to ask, like, let's take a startup example, um, a startup founder, and you ask, you know, what's your customer journey? They would it would sound something along the lines of they uh there's a salesperson that sells them the product. Uh-huh. And then you say it over- it at them. They <laughs> hope <laughs> you hope they catch it, plug it in themselves. Um, and then they start using it. And so once sales is done and that contract is signed and the money's coming in, then it goes over to customer success, customer support. And then the founder would likely say, and anything that comes up, like customer support just figures out. But of course, this is unfortunately a bit too simplistic. And that's why what happens is by the time they realize they need either more resource on customer (laughs) success or customer support, that customer is leaving. And they're usually leaving not because there isn't a friendly customer success person, but rather it's not clear who they should contact at the organization because they had such a good experience with a salesperson. But am I supposed to contact them? And I contact support, but they're they can only help me with a ticket. But I have this other question that I need that this Loom video is helping me with. So mm-hmm. who do who do I go to? And now they want a QBR and they want me to re-sign the contract. So it can be really confusing. And again, I don't know that that's necessarily the fault of the found is that the fault of the founder is the fault of the customer. Like there's just an opportunity to do better. So through the customer mapping, it needs to be something like asking the founder or the head of whoever to say, take, you wear the hat of the customer, take me through the journey from the very first time they see your marketing and what's the experience. And literally you know, whether it's old school with uh paper, post-it notes on a wall or in a uh, Miro uh, do, virtually is putting those swim lanes together. So okay case this is marketing, sales, customer success, customer support, product, we'll come on to product in a moment. And then each of those touch points, marketing, you know, where they saw it on product hunt and then they had a demo and then they, um, with sales, what information do they get after they sold? What does the onboarding, look like what does the implementation look like what's the engagement look like what so and also most importantly what are those data points that you're getting at each point in time so specifically one thing that really annoys customers is having to repeat themselves yeah
0: I totally agree with you oh god I've had people almost like turn the camera like turn the, the call off and I get it and it, for me I, I've had this before with startups and all I've done is documented what was said on the call. That's all I've done. That's all I've done. I've just typed it down when I've been working with clients, just documented what we agreed, shared it around, basic principles, and it calms everyone down and they feel they've been listened to and they don't get cross because they know everybody knows that information. And I think sometimes the dis, you know, the speed at which st- startups can run at, which is amazing, and that's why you join them. But I think that documentation process can change the game, just to really help people feel heard. Continue, sorry, I just thought. Oh, I'd
1: completely. that. completely. And I think to that as well as I want to add. to so you you looking at your process, and you you of course want to be clever about it. So what are those touch points? What what does that customer engagement look like at each point? And what data is being captured? But most importantly, what are we doing with this data? Mm. What's the data hygiene? So. Is it that you want everything in the CRM system? Okay, so does everyone in the organization know how to use it, have access to it? What's the standard? Or sometimes I've seen uh, startups get a bit too clever and they'll say, we'll build a <laughs> notion, <laughs> we'll do the CRM and we'll have a notion database and we'll have it here and we'll go in the air table. And that's very nice and very clever. But at the end of the day, like, can everyone in your organization, if you were to you know, fling a slack a message and say, okay, tell me what the status is with the HSBC would everyone know where to look for it or does yes. each go to a different area? And so I think that it's also don't over engineer it, you know, <laughs> putting it in a, a simple format is not, not a bad idea because ultimately your friends or your customer HSBC doesn't want to have to repeat re- themselves each time as who are yes. the stakeholders, what is the purpose, um, etc.? So that makes sense. Absolutely. Little-
0: <laughs> well, I mean, it's the detail, isn't it? But it's, it's really useful because I have to say, one of the clients I worked with, it was an InsureTech client, and we just used a Google Doc, but yes. it changed everything. It changed everything with that client. Everyone was on board. Everybody who was talking to that client knew exactly what the status was, what the latest update was. And it was just a Google Doc that was just kept up to date. Yes. And it was just, like you say, it can be very simple. Don't over engineer it. You don't have to implement all the wizard things in the world. Just be very clear with your communication and as you said think of the customer what is the customer experience how do you how would you feel if you've repeated yourself four times on a call
1: and you just want to get your work done Of of course of course and but this you know this is an interesting point with enterprise customers especially that b2b enterprise customers is you know, when you're working in a startup or, you know, you're more of a digital native, you have to remember, you need to meet your audience where they're at and where their organization is at. So yes, they've come to you for digital transformation, for a new product, to sort of drag them kicking, almost kicking and screaming sometimes into the modern era. But it could be that the person who's buying the product actually had their child program their smartphone. And it could be that they also, because of organizational risk policies, they don't have access to Notion. They can't integrate with your Slack. They can't, you know. And so something like a Google Doc, even though there might be some kind of eye rolls and isn't that old fashioned. Well, it works. Ultimately it works. And your customer's happy and it like, what is the problem we're solving for? And if you're OK with like an MVP and learning and iterating, why is it not acceptable for you to have a sort of like MVP with your with your customer in terms of communication and just starting yeah. with a talk and like start bare bones? So if you can start bare bones with a product. Why not start bare bones? It doesn't have to be this like super singing, dancing thing, because, for instance, in a couple of my my enterprise customer engagements we would try to use a microsite and we thought it was so clever putting all of the meeting recordings on there and all of the different artifacts, but ultimately because of their own internal restrictions, they couldn't watch video or download it, upload it. They weren't allowed to, you know, co-collaborate on a Monday board. And okay. So then are you going to say no to the enterprise customer because you're not making it like easy enough for them to do business with you? Well, that's on you. Yeah.
0: No, and I think you've come, like, this is a really important point in terms of digital leadership, because this is what I would call digital intelligence. It's being able to think about using your emotional intelligence to communicate using digital tools and understanding the way that someone might be feeling like about that digital experience. Like you're saying, it's like, is it really necessary to do a microsite? Could you not do this in another way? you know, what are the barriers here? Like there's a level of emotional intelligence I feel needs to come into the digital world. And that's kind of something I'm thinking about a lot. And it's this idea of digital intelligence. It's the way you communicate, utilize the tools, think about the experience online. Because if we're all in a more remote and hybrid working world, that's something we all need to cultivate more of.
1: Yeah, yes. Yes, for sure.
0: So let's talk a little bit about you. <laughs> who is a leader who
1: influenced and inspired you? Yeah, you know, I think I've been reflecting on this a little bit, and it's actually two of the leaders I had very early in my career, in the early knots, as we say, the noughties. Uh, <laughs> <Gosh>, and... <laughs> I can't believe that was 22 years ago. Oh <laughs> But in the, in the noughties, they were both female leaders. And this is important because I was working in financial services where there wasn't, you know, there still isn't now, but back then, especially not a huge number. And what I liked is that even as a junior, they gave me big responsibility. Um, they set big expectations for me and gave me the room to fail. So now we, we popularly call this, you know, it's invoked to say like, do you provide psychological safety? not just in vogue, it's an important principle, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Before we didn't even use that vernacular. Um, and so when there was a gap between, you know, expectation and performance, we would talk about it then and there. I didn't, I was never sort of waiting for or had any surprises in a, you know, a mid-year review, something like that. So if to summarize, it was, you know, give me big opportunities early, yeah. uh, give me feedback early and often, and give me that room and safety to, to fail, And that's how, how I really learned. And I think that's a lot of trust, especially to give junior employees, you know, sending me off to big conferences. Um, even then it was more of like a, you know, seen like such a big, uh, benefit to have remote working Mm -hmm. and there, they were like, okay, here's, here's your laptop. Um, it'll be, you can do it two days a month. And there were already rails in place. And so it was such a shock to the system to go to another organization, where they're like, no, you have to earn the right to be a remote worker. You have to, you know, and then having that other side of the spectrum of being micromanaged and not having that same opportunity or, or, um, ability to, to fail. Because ultimately, and something you and I have talked about as well, that even though we work for these amazing organizations and it does set the pace and it is really high, some of them do it well, like I experienced and just explained, where you can, you know, have that room to fail. But there are other places that are, there's zero room for error. For error. There's zero yeah. room for mistakes. And that, that's, that becomes very toxic and very sour very fast. Very fast. Yeah.
0: And I think, you know, what you've described there are sort of the ideal... Leadership behaviors that we would love to see in all of our leaders and managers. You know that uh, trust is huge, right? So think about trust. And if you, if anyone listening, just go to Google and, and type in trust equation, um, and that will show you kind of how to think about building trust. I mean, essentially, do what you're going to say and do it without an agenda, and you know, believe in someone. It's kind of like those principles, but it's it's quite interesting how often. If you don't trust someone, like you said, if um, in the second example, where they're like, you have to earn the right to work remotely, there's no trust. And so you don't trust right. them, right? So it, it's a very difficult thing. And, you know, the trust is is two ways. They trust you to give it a go and give it a really good go. So even if it's not quite where it should be, they know you're going to learn from it and go to the next level. But also you trust them to have your back if it doesn't quite work and you know that you're going to fail forward, but also that, you know, they're there to support you. It really is an interesting, but particular aspect of leadership trust, I think is a uh, fundamental. I wonder, could we explore a little bit about how do you build that trust then in a remote working world? So you're a leader, you're working for a startup, it's a remote
1: first company. How do you build remote trust remotely? Yeah, I think it's communication, 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 <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's really about, this is the expectation. And here's why I have that expectation. And does that work for you? So what do I mean by that? What I've seen done really well is have maybe a company say, okay, our, our core hours are 10 to three. So I need to be able to get a hold of you at Slack, WhatsApp, whatever, between those hours, or we have meetings during those hours. But otherwise, I'm not going to be checking your status. I don't care. You know, <laughs> here's what your deliverables are. Make sure you get them done. We need to have the 10 to three for the continuity across the organization, but otherwise like have at it and then live up to, up to that. So you can't say this is what we're doing, but then be, you know, checking in at 801 and checking in again at 501 to see, you know, are they there? Are they not that sort of thing? Um, I think also it's about having those check-ins with people as a human being. Mm-hmm. I think that is a, a good amount of trust just to say like, this is a no work talk zone. Um, how are you doing? I think that builds a lot of trust. What do you think, or do you think that's too? too
0: I was just thinking about the no work connections. So I've worked, you know, I've obviously been a consultant now for a while and working in different organizations, especially startups. And I think the ones, the startups where I've seen the culture excel has been the ones where they have those non-work touch points, um, they're not necessarily laborious, but they are there to keep people connected and build a remote working culture that's quite powerful. Yeah. I think if you don't design these things, because it has to be intentional because of the remote structure, work structure, you can get a very poor culture develop you know, and and people don't trust each other. So, I think there is a lot more to be done in that space. I think designing remote cultures could be a new consultancy avenue for people, for sure, as we realize what works well and what doesn't, because it requires someone to facilitate that. A bit like what you were saying with a community manager with a customer success. If you don't have anybody doing that, sure, it might work. There might be that golden moment where everything combines perfectly, but you're more likely to succeed if you've got a community manager in that role helping you build
1: it. Yes, that's right. And I I think for me, the trust bit really digs into like, my first questions are, why wouldn't you trust the people that you're hiring or work with? So what does that tell me about the organization? And for me, it usually boils down to one of two things. So one, it's either people in the organization don't feel like there's enough transparency or visibility about what's going on.
0: Mm-hmm. So that's
1: telling me that maybe communications are not good in some way. Like, are we not, you know, distributing that information to the people that need it when they need it. And it's also about, is it that the expectations are changing so quickly that you have to just be in this constant state of, uh, responsiveness, react, reactive, which is not also not great.
0: Mm, Yeah, no, I I totally agree with you. I do think it's a big challenge for companies as we go forward, uh, for sure. Do you want to know where you are on your leadership development journey? Well, here at The Still Loading Podcast, we have combined the best insights and expertise from our guests and the best practices and tips and tools that we use with our clients today and created a free resource for you, The Wheel of Digital Leadership Life, so that you can assess where you are today and where you need to get to in order to be a great leader for the digital age. The link is in the description box below where you can get your hands on it. And also, please do like and subscribe and share this podcast with people that you think would really benefit from it. It helps us to find more people and to help more people become leaders fit for the digital age. Thanks. I'd love to know a little bit more about your own leadership development journey. So could you tell me something about... You know, your own leadership development journey that kind of helps you become the leader you are today. Yes, uh, absolutely. So, without it's <laughs> so usually something went wrong and I learned a
1: lot from it. Uh, <laughs> this uh, is the what? Yeah, spoiler alert. <laughs> what did you learn? <laughs> spoiler alert is that, you know, I think it's two things. So, one is yes, it's um, that pivoting from, you know, going from a big team leadership role and then to a startup role and having sort of a masterclass and and what not to do Mm -hmm. (laughs) as a leader and also a good like reflective practice on what has happened um, over time for me. But I think as well, being a leader, I've had the opportunity, whether it was at a big company or at a startup to build teams from scratch um, several times. And so each time I iterate and I realize I have that opportunity to show up again in a new and better way um, for my people. And so I'm, I'm have a lot of gratitude for that. So I'm, I'd like to talk about those kind of separately if that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So versus
0: that. Um, no, you must integrate them together in a combined story. No, it's fine. <laughs> well, it's your, show.
1: it's your show. So basically, when you work at a startup, you basically have to, and I mean that from like pre seed to maybe like B, series B, yeah. um, generally, is that you have to accept that you're working for a new company every 90 days. That's a good point. That's a really good point. That that's one of the quotes that I'm going to pull out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So therefore, what I like to do. So in terms of leadership for startups, I think that there's value in having kind of like a team sprint every 90 mm-hmm. days. So that's whether either it's your micro team in that division or whether it's the startup itself. And I think that it's very good to have the vision and the purpose and the values. And yes, that shouldn't go away. But I think in terms of my own leadership style, that it's. Yes, I need to put the guardrails in place to know that no matter how many times we go through that 90 days cycle, yes, we'll have the weekly check-ins. Yes, we'll have performance, but as a leader, being really honest with my team to say, okay, this is what we're needing to accomplish in the next 90 days. This is the expectation for how it's going to go. It may have to be adjusted and it may not look the same for the next 90 days. So can you come along this journey with me and you know do it in this collaborative way? to see if we can get there. And then we're really going to talk about like what worked and what didn't work. And for me, what is underneath all of that is just that vulnerability and honesty. Mm -hmm. Because I have also seen that in startups, there's a feeling of things are too unstable because of this, What I, this is my conclusion, the 90 day cycle. So they try to inject senior leaders and the senior leaders want to come in and say, well, this is how it worked at this organization that was so successful for so long. And that kind of more heavy handed approach, which they call process or, you know, they, they say structure, but it's just it's not a it's not something you can necessarily helicopter in and and apply. It, mm. it just doesn't work that way with startups. Yes, startups need that those. It's almost like they need it from the ground up rather than from the top down. Um, so that was that's one of my bigger leadership lessons. And so that again with my teams. And as I've built them up, so again, going from butcher, baker, candlestick maker, doing everything. And as I'm hiring people to say, okay, I know that the, what it says on the tin, that you're an account manager, but actually I'm going to need you to also be a little bit of onboarding, a little bit of implementation, a little bit of this, like, can you go with me on this? Because we can't, you know, though there's this pressure and and desire for there to be strict OKRs kind of with startups, it's like, then you need new OKRs every 90 days. Because it's hard to say. I don't know. Am I making sense? Yeah, no, no. I think especially just
0: thinking about startups in those terms, like it's every 90 days. And I think, you know, what you're saying about, I've seen this happen in in, uh, startups. They get, you know, a certain round of funding, then they go and hire all these amazing like people who are amazing. Like, don't get me wrong. But it's then implementation of something from above. And it's then, in a sense, it becomes positional leadership. So I've been reading a lot about leadership. <laughs> What's What a surprise. I've been reading a it. You know, yeah, you know, right? like, and it was um, servant leadership versus positional leadership. So positional leadership is where it's your title. It's your job role. It's your job title. Servant leadership is that you're serving your team to empower them to be able to achieve the mission that you're trying to get to be that you know OKRs, okay, whatever it is, and that makes me realise what you've just said. Putting that together is by it, by actually hiring these senior people, then you're actually putting positional leadership as more important than servant leadership, and actually this is where you get a breakdown in a lot of the leadership I see in start- startups because they're not finding a way to bridge that gap because it's coming top down. And then everyone's trying to, then the reason this is important is because positional leadership means that everybody underneath that leader is then looking at that leader, trying to guess what that leader wants rather than being empowered enough to do the right thing and to do the best thing by the customer or the best thing by the, by the organization. And when I put those things together, I was like, this is why this is not working So you are are you absolutely right? You need to develop from the ground up, still have that direction. I think the direction is key, but you need to bridge the gap between the two with a layer of leadership development. That's what I'm seeing kind of play out with the clients I'm working with and kind of where my thinking is going with my uh, leadership development consulting and stuff.
1: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And if I may add to that two things. One is you need everyone on the team to understand why those leaders are needed, what they're going to be bringing what they're going to be doing and how they interact with you. So if there's a decision that that positional leadership needs to happen, then everyone needs to know, needs to be brought along as well on that story as to why. So that's one. And then I think the second is that that's also showing people that there may not be opportunities or growth for them over time yeah. in that position. So I do think that that's, you know, that may be an exit trigger for, for some of the talent. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I think that's that's a good thing to raise. And I also think um, that leader needs to be very clear and communicate the vision repeatedly. So I've, do, I've seen this as well with startups. They're not communicating the vision to their people internally enough. The senior leaders know it's in their heads every day. They're not communicating it and reiterating it and doing that storytelling. The podcast episode you love, the storytelling is key with leadership development. It's really
1: important for every leader to tell the story really well. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. We've just solved all the, all the world's problems here. Um, <laughs> <think we> have, <laughs> with the positional leadership as well, you know, especially with this, this concept of the startup is different every 90 days when they do want to put down these really, you know, under, again, under the guise of like process or structure. The thing is, you're already creating an exception to that process from day from day dot, because yeah. it just doesn't, it's too heavy.
0: Yeah. Totally agree with you. I'd love to move into the um, project that you're working on at the moment. Like, I'm going to talk about the name because we've been yeah. we, just before we started recording, we were talking about the name. But this project is about higher and old and it's kind of related to what we're talking about here, where you actually get the expertise of someone who's brilliant and amazing and they come into your organization as a startup and you're bringing that in. But, you know, you've been thinking more about this and this is your startup idea in in effect and you've been building it in
1: public. I'd love you to share with everyone kind of what's been happening with this idea. Yeah, sure. Thank you. So it's something I launched called Higher and Old. And why is it called Higher and Old? What does that actually mean? So during lockdown, I downloaded TikTok and on TikTok, I was, to my great horror, I found out that anyone over sort of age 21 was considered an old. So hashtag and old. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and also
1: and also there would be they would call like areas of TikTok. Story listeners. Yeah. <laughs> the majority of my listeners are older than that. So Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, and so there was also like hashtag old talk, they would call it. So I was laughing about that because of course I love TikTok and I would I'm very shockingly, I know, over the age of 21. Um, and so I was toying with this idea because I love technology. I, you know, did a mid-career pivot. technology. But what I found actually, when I tried to leave, you know, a large, large financial institutions to go to a fintech startup, I faced a huge amount of resistance. And it wasn't necessarily because of my exact age, but it was more like, oh, well, no, we actually want someone with this like very precise experience, or we need someone who's more flexible, or they'd use all of these sort of, you know, words to mean, we don't think that you have there. For me, it just exhibited a lot of Mm closed-mindedness around talent and the thing is spoiler alert every company is a tech company whether they like it or not so they need to have be able to have talent at all different ages all different backgrounds all different everything so for me it was just such a frustration that I had to go through so many interviews to basically say like I've left this like comfortable you know known very structured stable environment stable-ish stable-ish for like the absolute chaos and uncertainty, uncertainty of startup life. Like I, and I'm willing to do any of these number of things, but you're saying I'm excluded because I'm too experienced or have too much this or too much that when actually I'm bringing in a lot of just life experience that could help others. And the other thing I found very ironic and actually, if I may, hypocritical is that there was like, yeah, we'll, we'll hire people out of uni with no, you know, life experience. And, you know, we're not talking about salary here. We're not talking about pay here, really. We're talking about, you know, why is it that you can bring in someone who doesn't actually have any experience in tech and say, we'll, we'll, as long as they're bright and curious and well, I'm bright and curious.
0: Yeah. 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 I think that's a really good point. Yeah. Cause everyone assumes when you get old, you're not bright and curious. And it's like, no, no, I'm really curious. I'm more curious now.
1: Or that I won't work as hard, but yeah. What does it actually mean? Is it, FaceTime. So this is why I really, uh, this is why I continually challenge, you know, what do you actually mean that young, like young, quote unquote, younger workers will work quote unquote harder. Like what does that actually mean? And what, and what proof do you have? Like that's so anyways, all is to say, I decided I wanted to try to open up this conversation. And so I called it higher and old because I thought it was very clever and fun. And the, and the logo is an owl, which is very cute and wonderful. And now that, and I've also wanted to do a build in public, which is, mm-hmm. you know, I'd be very vulnerable, put the idea out there. And my starting point was, I want to open the conversation because I want to understand, is it an issue on the HR side? Like maybe they are, don't have the remit or the flexibility to to hire. Can we open minds about that? Is it that people at startups are uncomfortable with having people of a different, you know, um, biological age report to them? Like, are, is it the yeah. power? like, what is it? I need to find out a bit more. So what I've actually, this has been an interesting exercise because, and it is kind of product market fit is first of all, I'm having to spend too much time explaining what that the name means. Yeah. So even if I think it's clever and fun, apparently not everyone thinks it's as clever and fun as I do. And, um, they, I've also gotten some feedback that this old, like people are getting stuck on the old because really it's, again, my point isn't really about that age it kind of is but it kind of isn't but it's more around like be more open-minded about transferable skills and less yeah. precious about it being from years of experience or industry sp- industry specific or whatever if really what you're saying is we want curious hardworking people then why you know why are you putting limitations on yourself and I would even advance to you that I think this is part of the reason that 90% of startups fail because they do get too precious and bogged down into these. They think it's a very specific formula of talent should look like this and skills should look like that and this, that, and the other. And I'm saying like, if, if there's already a high risk that your startup's going to fail, why not hire someone with a bit more life experience to come in and do something fun and move fast to break things?
0: Yeah, and I, I, we were talking about this before as well. Like the average tenure in a startup or scale up is fourteen months. So if you, you know, and I think you have to be very clear about the skill sets that you've got because I think we've we've definitely come across instances where the, they've put someone in too soon. The company wasn't quite ready. If you think about that ninety day cycle, you know, you get that wrong ninety days, and you've put in like the C, the former CEO of like uh, Barclays. Into the the startup that's only like seed A, that's not going to quite work. But actually, if you think about the skills that you might need, and then put it in the right place, which is kind of what I know you're working on as well, like looking at putting people temporarily in positions to grow the the team
1: within. It's like that kind of alchemy thing. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Well, going to the, so I have the customer alchemy thing, but part of me is, is like it's all team. Team Elk and me as well, because so two things. One, I just left a startup, and part of the reason for the leaving was that they hired a big, big role too soon. So bringing me yeah. in as head of customer success. And when they didn't really have a customer base yet, they didn't have a, f- you know, the firm idea of what customer success would mean, how should it really be measured? What would the value be to the customer? How would they, they hadn't really prepped the other teams, you know, sales or marketing, how we would work together. And it just was too too much too soon, disorganized. And, and ultimately that came at a, a great cost to the organization. It was, you know, squandered resource. And ultimately that that fails the customer. So that's a that's a huge bummer. Um, one, but two, I realize now, and what I think other startups need is what I would call, you know, we've talked about this as well, is almost like an interim team mm-hmm. uh, to come in and say, okay, let's do a skills assessment or this for. Who you have here now, let's map out that customer journey that we have talked about. What's that end to end process? Who needs to know what? Is it a matter of we need to spend a month just creating the artifacts, um, putting the, you know, rolling out roles and responsibilities? And it looks like you need actually two more people on customer support. You actually don't need a head of customer success. And it looks like the person you have in customer success now, you know, in six months time, they're probably ready for there will be another person on the team. So are you ready to move them into? Leadership. So why don't we start with their leadership training now? I think that that's a better, especially again, if we go back to overlay it even further on our layer cake of that kind of ninety day cycle, rather than again this like let's put on this heavy like head of yeah. here. Let's hire three people and we haven't really given them a strong remit, but we're saying reduce turn by X, reduce check turn by X. How and where? Yeah. And what's the customer journey? And who are my teammate? And how? Who who's the adult in the room? Yeah.
0: It's finding that, what I'm hearing is it's finding that balance between that that experience and seniority and like injecting it in and giving everyone that wisdom and empowerment, but not like crushing it. It's just kind of almost like a, you know, a boost, like here, here's all the information. I'm going to help you. We're going to get to the next level and then you're going to be all right. And I'm going to go on to the next thing. Because I think as well, that kind of lends itself to the way that work is changing. I think, I mean, nobody would say in 2022, I would argue you're in the same job until the end of time, like the same company. No, no, no. We know that now. So we also need to think about, you know, interim roles. There's not that many at the moment, but I think they're going to become more common. I think interim, you know, specific targeted injections of, of different accelerated processes. I think that could be a real thing.
1: And I think also um, a natural adjacency is rise of the generalist. Yeah, have more generalists in your organization to, you know, work cross-functionally. So uh, I think we're even still kind of grappling, kind of stumbling around looking yeah. for the right like label to put on the tin for it. But I think there's a lot of value in the in the generalist space. So even when I think about customer success, I think if I'm looking ahead, I think that there right now it's like now there's even a more Finite differentiation between, you know, customer onboarding, implementation, technical, da, 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 da. and I think we're going to swing back the other way, which is like, I don't know that we need all these differentiated roles. <laughs> yeah, no, no. <laughs> I think Some I of agree. those actually now should maybe belong to engineering product because they're more technical. Da, da, da. Some of this actually should be more sales. And I think there's more like sales, marketing, um, customer success, the, the holy trinity there. Um, being better aligned, um, because a lot of those artifacts are the same and also it's all voice of the customer stuff. So I, I think there's just a lot like a customer generalist, I guess, again, with that customer alchemy, that's something I want to think about, but circling all the way back to higher and old, I'm going to have to change the name. I haven't, I'm, I still have a few more conversations to go, but I think it needs to be, oh gosh, I don't even know higher and old. Um, Well, if anyone's got any
0: suggestions, you know, reach out to Rebecca um, on LinkedIn. Her link will be below and just sort of come up with some suggestions. She may have even iterated by the time you all hear it. So keep your eyes peeled for that. But I think it's a great thing that you're doing, like building in public. And I think it shows, you know, that kind of that skill that we need as leaders for the digital age of almost like, Getting that feedback, iterating, and also not being too precious about if something doesn't quite work, you need to move forward. Because yes. it's not you trying to bulldoze that name into existence is probably not going to be as beneficial as getting the feedback and iterating. So I yeah. think that's a different skill set. Whereas I think, you know, if you think 50 years ago, they would have said, get a name and puncture the market with it and keep saying it so everybody knows it.
1: And everybody knows it, right? Yeah. Um, I still I'm trying to figure out how to keep the owl logo. Yeah, because we like cute owls on things,
0: <laughs> on the, all the merch, all the merch with the owls on it. <laughs> Fantastic. So my final question for you today is what are the three top tips for leaders kind of for the digital age in your field of experience, you know, with tech and customer success, et cetera. so what are your three top tips for leaders today?
1: I think the first is learn how to say no to the customer. Yeah. Mm. So why do I say that? So there are lots of different ways. So yes, there is the no. (laughs) And, but there's also a, uh, there's also the temptation by startups to be so responsive and to cling so tightly to the customers that one, you're not really finding, you're delaying finding that product market fit or, you know, the the right customer base for you Two, it's helping you. It's not helping you get really, really clear on the product and your ideal, you know, customer Mm -hmm. avatar. Or persona. Um, and there's lots of ways to have that conversation around, hey, is there a workaround we can do? How else can we can support that? Because sometimes that request and what they're asking for is again, it's usually a proxy for something else. Mm-hmm. So that leads me to my second one, which is Learning how to have more. And I think this is true, especially in, in customer success and especially as we move in more emphasis, uh, and rightly so on voice of the customer is being your customer advocate. And the best way to advocate on behalf of your customer is to be, have the courage to have those challenging conversation and not coming from a place of, I can't risk them leaving this relationship, but coming from a place of like, I can't risk them not having this conversation and helping them achieve their goal. I think that's a very different. Yeah. mindset and sets a very different tone for that conversation. Yeah, and your third tip? And my third tip is customer success is part of everyone's role and OKR mm-hmm. it doesn't just sit within customer success. So, I think that very closely tied to voice of customer is the saying, okay, product, sales, engineering, everyone, you we all have jobs because we have customers. <laughs> Yeah. And it's important we understand what are we solving for, for the customer? What friction is being removed? What problems are they trying to solve? Where are they going for? So all of us have responsibility for churn, not just customer success. Because again, very neatly coming back to the very start of our conversation, when customers churn, it's not because they don't have a friendly face to call to. It's because there's been some sort of failure in product or engagement or education. They're not sure how to use it, or they don't really understand why there was a change in pricing or... They're not even sure, like, why do I have four different contacts? Why do I have to keep repeating myself? Like, there are other ways. So everyone has that ownership. So yes, that you know, customer success, or whether it's the CRO or whomever, has that overall vision. And again, that that pure customer experience, that pure customer journey view. But ultimately, each person in the organization has a responsibility for and should have a tied for the uh, a churn OKR. Yeah. No,
0: I think that's a great point. Um, you're, you know, it's almost like that servant leadership, but kind of shared responsibility to kind of make sure that the customer is being cared
1: for, um, and getting what they need from you. I have a bonus one. Oh, this isn't necessarily like, um, industry specific, which is, I think, you know, there's a lot of value in qu- what I call, qu- <laughs> I know it's, people are calling quiet quitting, but I would call, I would say quiet complimenting and also, Quiet wellness, so that can show up as just telling people they're doing a good job, or if they speak up at a meeting or they bring forward an idea. Let's let's maybe balance out some of this like emoji party that happens, or like giving people high five in a Slack start uh, you know channel. That's fine, but I think there's also a lot of like beauty and simplicity in just sending someone a DM to say like really enjoyed your comment today in the meeting, or I know you've really been working hard on this project. Like well, well done on that. It's not You know, it's not tied to any specific meeting, catch up, whatever, but just like letting people know that they're seen, letting people know that you do acknowledge that they're making a contribution. um, Especially if you're in an organization that moves really fast. And it's also things like, if you know that everyone's going back to back Zoom meetings, why don't you suggest having a video off meeting? Mm -hmm. Let me tell you, everyone will love you and they'll love that meeting. Or to say, we're going to go the first 10 minutes of this meeting are video off. And we're also going to do a two minute breathing Yeah. or everyone just jump, you know, like little children, like let's stand up out of your chair and get all the wiggles out and then start and just try it once. Uh, Anyone listening, I invite you to try that in your next meeting and you'll see like just how refreshing it is. It sounds kind of naff, but it actually is really effective.
0: Yeah. And I mean, this perfectly illustrates my point that I'm so passionate about, about this digital intelligence, right? think about the ways you use the digital tools and how it can help be better leadership experience football, right? Like you said, I think we can forget, especially working remotely to share positive feedback. We're almost like, oh, because in the office you would have done it instinctively or oh. even your eyes, you would have locked eyes and sort of given a little nod and that would have been enough, but we're not, we don't have that because we're all remote. So you have to be more intentional and more communicative, I think. That's that digital intelligence piece.
1: Yes. And I mean, are you going to remember that someone... Uh, for me, uh, that's nice that I'm getting like accumulating number of high fives in <laughs> my Slack channel, but I, I'm not really remembering that. I'm remembering that someone reached out on a DM yeah. or, you know, at the beginning, as people are coming into a call, just being like, hey, that, that was such a great idea. Or I saw you finally... Fit, like, I saw that deck you produced. That must have taken you a long time. Yeah, no,
0: I totally agree with you. I think that's great, great advice for everyone listening. Uh, Well, I hope you've all enjoyed listening. I've enjoyed talking to Rebecca. It's been an absolute joy and pleasure. And I'm lucky enough to get to speak to Rebecca more often. So (laughs) I'm the lucky one. Uh, You get to repeat this episode if you want to hear more of Rebecca. And also, Rebecca, all of your links to all your projects that you'll be doing will be down below. Um, How can people get in touch with you? I guess LinkedIn is a great space.
1: LinkedIn is the best way. Um, Right now on Twitter, I am on higher and old. But of course, that may change. And yeah, all the links should be around. But yeah, LinkedIn is the best place. Yeah. And Customer Alchemy, people can
0: sign up and find out more. That's right. Yeah. Perfect. Awesome. All the links will be below. Please reach out to Rebecca. And uh, she will be in contact with you and keep your eyes peeled for the name change and also suggest anything uh, that you think might be worthwhile as well. Thanks, Rebecca, for sharing your wisdom with us and for sharing uh, your leadership for the digital age perspective with customer success. And wish you all the success for you in the future.
1: Thank you, Alona, And keep up the great work. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Still Loading podcast. If you're interested in learning more about the leadership development programs we can offer you, you need to contact Slate Digital. We cater for everyone who needs to have leadership development in their rapidly scaling organizations. We specialize in remote and hybrid leadership, and we can't wait to hear from you. If you've liked the podcast and found it useful, please do share it with your friends, your colleagues, anyone you think who might benefit from being a better leader in the digital age. Bye for now.